Well, today in our Highlights of Romans series, we're going to come to another section in chapter 2 this time, and it has to do with our urge to correct people, and um, sometimes people need to be corrected, but oftentimes our urges to correct are not good. October 2017, the first time ever on Twitter, there was a hashtag MeToo post, and that, of course, began something big. Millions of people did the hashtag MeToo Twitter post and then the other social media as well. It was only one month after that there appeared for the very first time the church to hashtag church to post. And of course, those have been viral as well. And uh, the church deserves this because if anybody cares about truth, the church cares about truth. And so we deserve that. On the other hand, Aggressively singling out one truth is oftentimes an effective way to uh, imply untruth or to cover the whole truth. So, for example, we could say lightning kills people. And if that goes viral and everybody starts saying hashtag lightning kills people, uh, that's going to give you the impression that a lot of people die of lightning strikes. But that's not true. Uh, When you're on the beach all by yourself, it might be good for you to know that lightning kills people on a rainy day. But for the most part, lightning is not what most of us are going to suffer from in our final moments. And so if we just keep talking about lightning, 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 uh, we are hiding the real truth of what threatens our lives by and large uh, as normal people. Yes, the church itself has been immoral horribly immoral, far often, far more often than it should ever be. But if we're going to single things out, why not also single out alcohol too? You know, hashtag alcohol too. Or why not university too? Or why not something like career, office, Wall Street too? Or why not non-traditional family or sports or a hundred other things? But the church has been singled out probably unfairly, and yet, how appalling that this could even exist at all, right? We wish it never, ever, ever existed, but it does exist. And that's what Romans 2 is all about. Here's what it sounds like. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judges, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge do the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who commit such things. And do you think this, O man, who judges those who do such things and you do the same, that you shall escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But after your hardness and unrepentant heart, you treasure up for yourself wrath until the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Behold, you are called a Jew. And rest in the law and make your boast of God and know his will and approve the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. And you are confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind, a light of those which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes who has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. You, therefore, the one who teaches another, do you not teach yourself? You, the one who preaches a man should not steal, do you steal? 
You, the one who says a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You, the one who abhors idols, do you commit sacrilege? You, the one who makes your boast of the law, through breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written for circumcision, that's like Judaism. Indeed, prophets, if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision, your Judaism, is made uncircumcision, practical Gentilism, heathenism. And so we're really addressing the Jewish people here, and we're going to make application to ourselves. The flow of thought in the book of Romans is like this. Chapter 1 is pronouncing condemnation on the Gentile population of the world. That's chapter 1. And there aren't very many passages in the whole Bible like Romans chapter 1. Chapter 2, where we are today, this is going to pronounce condemnation on the Jewish people, the Jewish population that might be considered the best in the whole world in Paul's day. And yet they too are condemned by God. So that's the flow of Romans 1, Romans 2. When we get to chapter 3, we're going to finish that idea and introduce salvation. So first condemnation and then salvation. The person that we're describing here, when Paul says, Behold, you are called a Jew. This is the model Jewish person according to the Judaism of Paul's day. And what's so great about this is that Paul himself was that model Jewish man. He was that before he became a Christian. He was rock solid sure of himself. He was so sure of himself. And he was radical in his devotion to God. Remember, in the old days, he persecuted the church. He was putting people in prison and actually killing them because he was so devoted to God. He was radically devoted to God. And he was disgusted by heathen and heretics. He was so disgusted. Again, he was putting them in prison and even killing them. So, I mean, he was all in. And, of course, he was unceasingly confrontational. He always was going after somebody. And so this person that Paul is referring to here, behold, you are called a Jew and uh, you have these traits. He's speaking about the model Jewish person of his time. And before his conversion, he himself was that model Jewish person. His argument is that Jewish self-congratulation that was so common, even in his past when he was young, Jewish self-congratulation was actually arrogant and undeserved because the people who were congratulating themselves were doing the exact same things that they were calling out other people for in fault. And they were not only hypocritical, but they would, in their right minds, expect that the Lord is going to judge them at the end of their lives for what they're doing. So Paul says this self-congratulations is way wrong because it's not going to end well for you and you're doing the exact same things that you're accusing others of doing. So when we read this section of Romans, when Paul says, behold, you are called a Jew, well, we're not that. But when we read this section of Romans, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to ask ourselves, do I have a self-superior opinion of myself? Do I do the very same things that I call out others for doing? Are my off-putting attitudes and hypocrisies causing other people to think badly of Christianity? Does my behavior make people not want to be Christians? And last of all, 
am I being positioned by all of this for an unpleasant encounter with Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ? Because here the Apostle Paul says, there's going to be a judgment of all of this at the end. All right. Three big ideas we're going to look at today. Our urge, evil urge even, to correct others but not correct ourselves. Now, we want to also bear in mind that there can be an urge to correct others because you honestly love them. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about the urge to correct others. There's something wrong if we just want to always be the teacher, the instructor, the smart one. There's something wrong. And we're going to see that that's based on a sense of self-superiority. We're going to see that that makes us blind to our own corruption and it also brings harm to God's reputation in the world and to our eternal prospects when judgment comes. So all of those are essentials to understand. All right, our urge to correct others flows out of self-superiority. So again, notice sections of this text. Uh, Therefore, you are inexcusable. Whoever you are who judges, see, self-superiority. I am in a position to correct you. I want to correct you. So you're inexcusable. Whoever you are who judges, you judge. You judge them. You boast of God. And you are confident that you yourself are a guide, a light, an instructor, a teacher of babes, one who has knowledge. Oh, you make your boast of the law. So you can see the self-superiority from start to finish in that text. To condense this and sharpen it to a finer point. You consider yourself to be a guide of the blind. That's like saying... I am the guide. You are the blind person. So you see self-superiority, right? Let me correct you because you don't know, but I do know. I am the guide. You are the blind. A light to those who are in darkness. I am the light. You languish in darkness. You see self-superiority, right? Uh, I am a teacher of babes. I am a teacher. You are the baby. You need me to tell you because you don't know. See, that's self-superiority. Uh, I am the one who possesses every appearance of knowledge. Uh, I, I am the embodiment of the truth of the law. Uh, that's what the text says. It's like saying, I'm a poster child for wisdom. You have to learn from me. I will show you. And similarly, I possess the truth of the law. I am an admirable model. So this is how the person is described. And Paul says this model Jewish person is setting himself up for a fall. It is so like, isn't it, the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, judge not so that you are not judged. This sense of self-superiority, my desire to correct people, let me correct you. I am the guide of the blind. You are blind. You are in darkness. I need to correct you. Let me correct you. This urge to correct, judge not so that you are not judged. For with whatever judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And why do you behold the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not consider the beam that is in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull out the speck from your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first cast out the beam from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to cast out the speck from your brother's eye. So you see, it's all the same. A sense of self-superiority, and it makes me want to correct you. I have an urge to correct you. And Jesus said, you hypocrite, why would you want to run around correcting people? The very urge that you have to correct people shows that you have a log-sized sin in your life. The urge to correct is the sin. And we don't want that. 
here's what our witness should sound like. You should say, I am in no position to judge you, but as a very flawed messenger of the true judge, I am not the judge, but the true judge has told me to tell others. As a very flawed messenger of the true judge, I am duty-bound to warn you that the thing you were caught doing or that you have admitted to doing, so we're quite sure about this, the thing you were caught doing or you have admitted to doing is chapter and verse wrong. And that is an operative term. Chapter and verse wrong. Like, I'm not just saying that you shouldn't have a tattoo. There is no chapter and verse about that. I would not correct you on that issue. I am correcting you on stepping out on your wife. See, that's clear. That's a chapter and verse wrong. And I'm not a judge. I wouldn't think to judge you on something that I don't have a chapter and verse for. You see, that's the idea. It is chapter and verse wrong. And you are going to be accountable for that. Not to me, because I'm not a judge. But to the judge, and I'm just the messenger because the judge told me to tell people. So I am. So you see what that is? That's what your witness should sound like. I really don't have the stomach to correct anybody. I really don't want to correct anybody. But I'm a messenger of the judge. The judge said I'm supposed to go and and say this. And you are caught doing this or you admit to doing it. And it's chapter and verse wrong. And there's going to be a price to pay for this. You have to fix this. See, that's, that's what good correction sounds like. But so often that's not what our correction sounds like, right? Our urge to correct others but not correct ourselves is blind. That urge is blind. It's blind to our own corruption. So again, this is what it sounds like in the text, right? For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge do the same things. Uh, When I was young in the youth group, I had a friend who really was smart. You know, he was in all the advanced classes, and I don't think he ever got anything but A's. Always, always brilliant. And um, then I also, there was an adult man in our church uh, who was a school teacher. And my friend was pontificating one time about a certain thing, probably astronomy. I, I think he liked astronomy. And the adult man in our church said to my friend, you like to show people how much you know, don't you? And when my friend relayed this story to me, he said, and you know what's so funny about that? My impression of this adult man who's a school teacher is that he always likes to show people how much he knows. So if that's true, then each one is accusing the other of the very thing that they each like to do, which isn't attractive. You that judge do the same things. In verse 3, and do you who judge those who do such things and then do the same think that you shall escape? Your hardness and unrepentant heart treasures up for yourself wrath. You, therefore, the one who teaches another, do you not teach yourself? You, the one who preaches a man should not steal, do you steal? You, the one who says a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You, the one who abhors idols, do you commit sacrilege, steal from the temple, steal from God? You, the one who makes your boast of the law, through breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Because you who judge are doing the same thing. You're calling out other people 
You have an urge to correct other people, but you don't correct yourself. What gives? Again, to sharpen it to a finer point, condense all the words. You who judge do the same things. You judge those who do such things, and you do the same. Your hardness and unrepentant heart treasures up for yourself wrath. Do you not teach yourself? Evidently not. Do you steal? Yes, you do. Do you commit adultery? Yes, you do. Do you commit sacrilege, steal from God's temple? Yes, you do. Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Yes, you do. But you're calling out everybody else on that, right? You're doing the same thing. You are correcting everybody else, but you're not correcting yourself. So, for example, do you steal? For us, what does that sound like? As Christians, you have merchandise that you want to sell. Maybe you're selling a car. You're selling whatever it is you want to sell on Marketplace. Your merchandise really is what it seems to be. You can sell it and look the guy in the eye a year later and say, I gave you a good deal. Your craftsmanship really is solid. Yeah, I'll fix this for you. Good, good craftsmanship. Your contracts really do protect the interests of all or just your interests. Is everybody going to be okay with this contract? Your sales pitch is charitable, not predatory. Like that guy, he's such a good salesman, he could sell refrigerators to an Eskimo. But should he? Would that be a very nice thing to do? Or is it nice for you and bad for the person who doesn't need it? You see? You returned what you borrowed in the same or better condition or you replaced it. I'm not trying to be a taker in life. Your court dealings, when you do have legal issues, your court dealings really have been just and merciful. Just, it's fair. Merciful, it's actually more than fair for the other person. Otherwise, maybe you're stealing. You gave your employer an honest day for an honest dollar. That employer is always going to be glad that he hired you, right? Because you're not stealing from him. You work hard for him. See, do you steal? Because we could imagine that a lot of people who have claimed to be followers of God, followers of the Savior, they don't always do these things very well. Do you commit adultery? Say, no, I do not. You don't? Well, you're saying you're not a girl watcher, including not online? You don't do that? Oh, because Jesus said it's like committing adultery in your heart. You aren't wishing that you could fulfill your inappropriate impulses? Like, yeah, I'm a married man, so I guess I better not do this. But I wish I could. You aren't flirting or positioning yourself for a potential relationship? Like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I'm flirting a little bit. Well, that's wrong. You're not allowed to do that. That would mean in your heart, you're posturing to sin. And, of course, sometimes it's much worse than that, isn't it? Can we speak about the foremost financial counselor in the Christian community having a very important person on his team commit multiple affairs and the wife appealing to this ministry to do something uh, and there's no discipline swept under the carpet? But when a young female employee came up pregnant outside of marriage. They fired her. Double standard. Well, you know, we don't enable adultery. Do you commit sacrilege? We don't know exactly what this is, actually. Uh, what it means is, are you a temple robber? You think, well, no Jewish person is going to walk into the temple and rob. I mean, who's going to do that? 
But in the book of Malachi, at the close, it says, uh, will a man rob God? God says, yet you have robbed me. And they say, in what way have we robbed you, God? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You see, you do not have any obligation to give a certain amount of money to the gospel cause. But in the Old Testament times, they were obligated to give 10%. And if they didn't give their 10%, then that was robbing God, according to the prophet Malachi. So the question here that Paul is asking Jewish people, do you rob God? Saying, in what way have we robbed you? You don't give him what he deserves in the Jewish tithe. Uh, you don't use your position among believers to make a financial gain. So, for example, we have the money changers in the marketplace in Jesus' day. And they say, well, uh, you have to buy a sacrifice animal. You came from 100 miles away. You couldn't be expected to carry your uh, ox with you 100 miles. So you thought, I'm going to come, come to Jerusalem. I'm going to buy an ox. So you go to the temple changers and say, I want to buy that ox right there. They said, okay, that's going to be too much money. They go, oh, okay, it's too much money, but, you know, I'm here. And so you give the guy too much money. He says, bad news. Uh, that kind of money we don't accept here because it doesn't have the Jewish stamp on it. So you have to change your money for our money. And bad news, the exchange rate is not in your favor. It's in our favor. So we're going to get a double profit. We're going to overcharge you for the ox. And we're also going to say that your dollar is not only worth 50 cents. But we're all good, right? Do you rob God? In what way have we robbed God? Well, you've taken advantage of other people that God was trying to take care of. That's how you rob God. Do you do that? Well, maybe. Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? You make your boast of the law, but maybe you're a lawbreaker. Say, I am not a lawbreaker. Paul says, oh, you mean you don't covet your neighbor's money or your wife or your neighbor's wife? Well, I do love money and I do look at her in a way that I shouldn't. You don't falsely accuse people. You know, you judge them and you yourself are doing the same thing. Well, sometimes I falsely accuse people. I imagine that they're, they're proud or I imagine that they're against me or I imagine that they love money and I don't really know that. But I did tell people that I think maybe that person is like that. So I guess that's a false accusation, isn't it? And the Bible says in the Old Testament law, you can't bear false witness, right? You can't say that a guy is a lover of money. You don't know if he's a lover of money. You can't say, well, he's just so proud. You don't know that a person is proud. That's invisible. How would you ever say that? You don't falsely accuse people. Uh, you don't intentionally mislead people, for example, online. You don't intentionally mislead people like I wouldn't. Mislead people to think that everything I post online about how beautiful my breakfast is and how much fun I'm having and all my great stuff, I, I wouldn't want to give them the wrong impression. And the Bible says, don't bear false witness. You love people because the Bible says you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. So you love people and attend to their well-being as loyally as you attend to your own interests. Like, listen, um, there are three dollars here. We're trying to divide it equally, but there's no change. So, you know, I love you. You take the two dollars and I'll take the one. Because I'm going to love you as myself. You, surely you'd prefer to have the $2. So let me just take care of you. That's what I would want if it were the other way around. That's what you do? Oh, well, maybe not. So our evil urge to correct others, but not ourselves, is 
based on a sense of self-superiority. It is blind to our own corruption. And lastly, it brings harm to God's reputation. And it brings harm to our future prospects at the judgment seat of Christ. Here's what it sounds like in our text in Romans, right? Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable. Harm to your future prospects. This isn't going to go well for you at the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, you are inexcusable. You condemn yourself. The judgment of God is according to truth against those who commit such things. And do you think that you shall escape the judgment of God? But after your hardness and unrepentant heart, you treasure up for yourself wrath until the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. People say bad things about God because of the way you live. This isn't going to go well for you. Again, to sharpen it to a finer point, you are inexcusable. You condemn yourself. The judgment of God is against those who commit such things. And do you think that you shall escape the judgment of God? Your hardness and unrepentant heart is treasuring up for yourself wrath until the righteous judgment of God for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. See, this is a pretty severe evaluation of the person who judges. The text says in verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Like you're Jewish, and you know what? People look at the Jewish people and say, well, I never want to be like that. The God of the Jewish people is a bad God. I'm not interested. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the way you Jewish people have been living. And it says, as it is written. And then it quotes Isaiah 52, 4. Isaiah 52 says, My people went down before to Egypt to sojourn there in the days of Jacob and Joseph in in Egypt. And just recently, the Assyrian oppressed them without a cause. That's the Assyrian captivity. The ten northern tribes go into captivity in Isaiah's day. And so now the Assyrian oppressed them without a cause, hauled them off to Assyria. Now, therefore, my people are taken away for nothing. They that rule over them, the Assyrians, make them wail declares the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Blasphemed means insulted. My name is spoken badly of every day because of what happened here. Paul says, you, the way you've behaved, it makes people hate the faith, the true faith of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, you have Nathan the prophet confronting David over his adultery with Bathsheba. And Nathan tells David, by this deed, what you've done here. However, because by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, so the child also that is born to you shall surely die. You realize what you've done here? For years to come, uh, David is about 1000 B.C., We are about 2,000 A.D. For 3,000 years now, people have been saying, that David, that David. Boy, oh boy. Well, it's true. People have been thinking badly of the religion of God for 3,000 years because of what he did. A great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme because of what you've done. That's what Paul says. That the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. The way you've behaved. It's quite a thing to imagine. This is Charles Darwin's testimony. Most of us don't think of him as an outstanding Christian man. But notice, you know, he is right. He's right about this. He says, near Rio de Janeiro, I lived opposite to an old lady who kept screws to crush the fingers of her female slaves. 
I have stayed in a house where a young household mulatto daily and hourly was reviled, beaten, and persecuted enough to break the spirit of the lowest animal. I have seen a little boy, six or seven years old, struck thrice with a horsewhip before I could interfere for having handed me a glass of water not quite clean. And these deeds are done and palliated by men who profess to love their neighbors as themselves, who believe in God and pray that his will be done on earth. Horrors. How awful. I mean, how is it even possible? This is like, you know, church too. Like, no way. Say it isn't true. I don't want to even believe it's true. And yet, it is true. Did you think that because you wear a Christian badge, you yourself judging others and doing the same things will escape the judgment of God? The name of God is blasphemed by the outsiders because of the way you live. This isn't going to end well when your life is judged. Here is Dr. Lena Abujamra. We're talking about her in our Sunday school hour, right? And she almost left the faith. She did for six months leave the faith for all practical purposes. She says, ask most Christians who used to go to church why they don't go anymore. And they'll tell you. It's the Christians. An online search for the number one most common reason for leaving the church is not Jesus. It's his people. The name of God is blasphemed among the outsiders because of you, because of the way you live. And this is what we must never allow uh, as part of our lives. A great article from years ago in a magazine called Today's Christian Woman, written by Helen Coronado. She says, mention the mommy wars to any parent on the planet and they'll likely map out the opposing sides they most closely resonate with. Breastfeeding versus bottle. Co-sleeping versus crib. Working versus stay-at-home. Public school versus homeschool. Helicopter versus free-range. How many of us secretly or not so secretly build a case for why our parenting style is superior? Remember, self-superior, self-congratulatory. Our parenting style is superior and therefore the right way. The message we send is that our way outranks your way. And we're busy keeping up with the latest gossip on whose parenting strategies fell short of the mark. And we're certainly not loving our neighbor as ourselves when we feel superior in light of someone's struggle. Unwittingly, instead of being content to find my own direction and wish others well on their child-rearing quest, I have ended up in arguments and confrontations trying to convince women I respect that they are doing it wrong. I am on the front lines of the mommy wars, weapon drawn, ready to strike the opposition. And I'm not even sure why. Isn't that great? It's like I'm walking with the Lord and I see you. And, and in my heart, I think oh, you're going to be a friend. You're going to be so glad that I'm walking with the Lord. You're going to be a kindred spirit. You and I are going to be simpatico. And we're going to love being together. It's going to be this warmth and community. And then all of a sudden you fired up on me because I'm not breastfeeding or I'm free range. 
And I feel gutted. I, I thought you were going to really like me. I thought, I thought we were going to be close. And, and you just fired up on me. Oh, no. And how often does it happen? Over how many issues? And the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. And everybody says, yeah, you have to follow God's word. Through breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Are you following God's word? Do the outsiders say, I don't even want to be around him. I don't even want to be around her. That person is not safe. Like, you think he's, he's a really nice Christian, and he'll gut you. That's a terrible way to live. And so the scripture warns us about this. One former boarding school student at a missionary boarding school he says, because of what Christians did in mission boarding school, and it was what you think, because of what Christians did in mission boarding school, I absolutely despise anyone who calls themselves a Christian. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, the outsiders, because of you. In 2014, the founding pastor of Mars Hill Church, that was a church of 12,000 people in 15 locations in the Pacific Northwest. It was known, he was known as the cussing pastor because he'd get upset and use profanity. Um, he was known as the cussing pastor and he warned there would one day be a mountain of bodies behind the metaphorical Mars Hill bus. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. And his congregation described his leadership style as a culture of fear. And if you read enough Church 2 posts, he'll come up. That guy brutalized us. In 2013, the leader of a trendy 80-church mini-denomination, many churches all around the country and the world, he was the leader of it. He was forced to resign from his presidency since he apparently chose not to report to authorities his colleagues' long-term molestation of minors, even when he was aware of it. So he had to step down. What do you think of adultery? Oh, we're against it. Yeah, except you defended it when it was in your orbit of acquaintance with your friends. In 2019, the founder and senior pastor of a Chicago area mega church was fired due to bullying and dishonestly using church money. He used pictures of elders' wives for target practice and angrily stabbed another picture with a butter knife. In 2019... The nation's largest Protestant denomination admitted and since then have continued to admit to decades of covering up 380 cases of molestation of minors. So what do you think of that? Oh, we're against it. Well, except when it happened in our orbit and then we tried to make sure nobody ever found out and we left things as they were. Through breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Because the name of God by outsiders is blasphemed now because of what you did. And do you think that you shall escape the judgment of God? I mean, you wore the badge, you wore the uniform of a follower of God, but then you didn't follow through. You who judge do the same things. So how will it turn out? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, approved of him for the way we've handled these things. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive for the things done in his body, 
according to what he has done in his time on earth, whether it be good or bad, good or bad. You receive something if you're bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, it's something to think about, isn't it? We persuade people, but we are made plain to God, and I trust also are made plain in your consciences. I mean, it's all transparent here, right? Uh, You know, you can go through my financial records. You can look at my computer history. I just want it to be plain, right? James 1.12, do you think you'll escape the judgment of God? Well, blessed is the man who endures temptation. I mean, we might have brushed this under the rug. We might have forgiven it. We might have overlooked it for our own sake of uh, financial well-being or ego or control or whatever. But no, no, no. We avoided that temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. First John 2.28, now little children, abide in him, stay with it that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You don't want to wear the uniform of the Christian and do the same things that the non-Christians are doing. So when we read Romans today, we must ask ourselves, do I have a self-superior opinion of myself or run around and want to correct everybody? Do I do the very things I call out others for doing? I say, you're doing this, and the truth is, I'm doing it. Are my off-putting attitudes and hypocrisies causing other people to think badly of Christianity? They say, oh, I never want to be like him. I never want to be like her. Am I being positioned for an unpleasant encounter at the judgment seat of Christ? Or to say it this way, our evil urge to correct others, but not ourselves. We too often imagine that we are the bright lights. I am I'm the teacher. You are the learner. Let me show you what you don't know. We imagine that we are the bright lights. We imagine that we are the great teachers of babies with a self-superior attitude. We are tempted to bend the truth for our own ego, reputation, financial advantage, and control, bearing false witness. We are in danger of making people think badly of God and in danger of losing our own eternal rewards because of this hard-heartedness. So there it is from the book of Romans. You who judge others with a self-superior attitude, do you not judge yourself? Do you not teach yourself? And let us all in our hearts say, okay, Lord, we're just not going to judge anybody. We'll carry your message where something is chapter and verse wrong, but we even hate to do that. But we will for faithfulness. But we don't want to correct anybody. We just want to please you. Can we stand and be dismissed with prayer? If there's anything in your life right now you can think of that, yeah, you've had a self-superior attitude, you're trying to correct people, and you do the same thing, um, or you have a sense that maybe you have been overly protective of your own rights, your own possessions, you've been, in some ways, treating your neighbor not as yourself. Maybe we'll give you just a moment to talk to the Lord about that. Now, Father, we all just want to tell you that uh, we see it here and we are humiliated by um, our own failures. We are so flawed and so deficient and we're so sorry. But in our hearts right now, uh, we are dedicating ourselves freshly to having true humility, to treating other people with real love. And we have no desire to call out anybody else ever and then not even correct ourselves. How awful. 
please save us from this in Jesus' name. Amen.